0: Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger,
1: Thank you, Rima. Have you had a wonderful week? Are you coming back next year? What a wonderful week it has been. God has spoken to us powerfully. We've had some amazing workshops and seminars and times of worship and exhilaration here in the big top. And Russ has whetted our appetite for 2008. But you know, spring harvest is more than an event more than a week at Minehead or a week at skegness the passion behind the leadership team the council of management and all who are involved behind the scenes in spring harvest is about the 52 weeks that come between spring harvests we want to equip the church we want to provide you with resources to live kingdom lifestyle for the whole year jesus said Come and have breakfast. We're back in John 21. If you remember on the opening night, Russ challenged us with that encounter with Peter, getting out of the boat and going all for Jesus. Midweek, Mike Pellavachi returned to John 21. And here we are at this barbecue breakfast party. There are eight people sitting down. There's Jesus, Simon Peter, Thomas... Nathaniel, James and John, and the two other disciples. (laughs) I don't think I'll ever read those words again, and I'll remember Mike Pilevacci, the two other disciples. I've never been into fishing. I don't fully understand the attraction uh, that fishing holds on so many tens of thousands of people in Britain today. Next week, the Bible readings are being led by Dr. R.T. Kendall. And he's an avid fisherman. Uh, friends of mine and those who know R.T. are praying very much for me next week because I'm sharing a chalet with him. <laughs> and I'm looking after the food. Anyway, I was in Florida staying with him just a month ago. And uh, he is an avid bonefisher. And I've been out bone fishing with him, watching him this uh, extraordinary skill of catching these invisible fish, almost. And he said to me, shall we go fishing? I said, fine, yes, lovely, out onto the Lago Sound, and I'd sit back and watch him bonefish. What I didn't know was that he had in mind that I should fish. So when it came to a point, he took his little boat out, and we got out into the Lago Sound, and uh, he handed me the rod. So I said, what am I doing with this? He put a bit of live bait on the end, told me to cast into the water, and I stood there looking like a lemon. <laughs> Never done this before. And suddenly, the rod started to pull. And I'm... He said, take it in, take it in, take it in, take it in, let it out, let it out, take it in, let it out, take it in. And eventually, I got this grouper. It wasn't very big, actually, but, you know, felt like I was shark fishing, actually. But, <laughs> And I actually caught six grouper, whereupon he produces a chopping board and fillets the fish right there in the boat. And then we motor to a little inlet, moor the boat, climb a ladder, walk into the fish restaurant and hand the fish to the chef who whereupon cooked it for us. And we sat down and ate the fish that we'd caught just 20 minutes ago. It was quite an incredible experience. I don't say that I'm hooked on fishing, but, uh, <laughs> but to be eating something Thank you, thank you. (laughs) To be eating something that you've just caught 20 minutes ago is quite an extraordinary experience. So here they are. Notice it's Jesus is the master chef. He's prepared a charcoal fire, and on it the fish are being grilled, and they eat the fish and the bread that Jesus provides. But now I want you to come back about 10 days to another charcoal fire. This charcoal fire is in the courtyard surrounding the high priest's house in Jerusalem. Jesus has just been arrested and marched to the high priest's house. Peter, following at a distance, makes his way, gets into the courtyard. And there the soldiers and the servants have built a charcoal fire to warm themselves. It's the early hours of the morning. And Peter draws near to the fire to warm himself. And suddenly a servant girl spots him. She said, you are one of his disciples Jesus said I never knew him A couple of minutes later well actually what happened immediately then I'm not sure that he properly heard it until he thought back after he denied Jesus the first time Mark says the cock crew the rooster crew then someone said to him you were there I've seen you with him he said, I don't know who he is. And then Luke says, he moved away from the fire. I think he was ashamed that, of what he'd already done. And as he moved back, Luke says, it was about an hour later. that Somebody said to him, you were there, I saw you in the garden. The grove of olives. And he said, I never knew him. Curses upon me from heaven if I'm lying. And suddenly... The cock crowed again the second time. And it was just the night before when Jesus was telling the disciples where he was going. Peter said, I'll follow you, Lord. I'll die. I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, die for me? Before tomorrow morning, before the cock has crowed twice, you'll deny me three times. And Luke says, that Jesus looked on Peter. He's obviously being brought out of the house of Caiaphas now to another interrogator. And the Bible says Jesus looked at Peter. I wonder if we'll ever have a DVD of that look. I'm sure it wasn't a look of condemnation. I'm sure it wasn't a look of disgust. It was a look of empathy, a look of love, a look of forgiveness. Luke says Peter just broke down and wept bitterly and rushed out of the courtyard. Here we are. Back on the beach. Sea of Galilee. Ten days later. Another charcoal fire. Breakfast is over. The hungry fishermen are replete. And Jesus has a few words to say to Peter. The one who just ten days ago had denied him Three times, Jesus now addresses him and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Lots of different views commentators have about who these are. My favorite explanation... This one who boasted about being the one who who really loved Jesus. The one who would really die for him. When Jesus wanted to wash his feet, he said, wash me all over. He was such an exuberant, outspoken extrovert of a disciple. Probably telling them that he loved Jesus more than all the disciples. So my favoured interpretation is Jesus saying to him, Peter, Simon, son of John... Do you still love me more than these disciples love me? And he says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, Then feed my lambs. Then he asked him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replies, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Then Jesus said a second time, feed my sheep. I don't believe it was a coincidence that Peter, who denied Jesus three times at that charcoal fire in the courtyard of the house of the high priest, was asked three times by a charcoal fire on the Sea of Galilee to reaffirm his love for his master and his Lord. And Jesus is in the business of forgiving us. Christianity is the only faith that talks about God totally forgiving us and we being called to totally forgive others. Do you know, sometimes it's relatively easy to accept God's forgiveness because of the message of the cross. Sometimes it's not so difficult to forgive others. But do you know where I think many of us find it most difficult? We find it most difficult to forgive ourselves. We look back with regret. If only I had, if only I hadn't. And our lives can be marred by those mistakes. The course of our lives and our relationships can be dramatically altered because of mistakes in the past. Time and time again, the enemy comes to us and accuses us and says, if only, what if, what if you hadn't? And we need to In receiving God's forgiveness, we need to forgive ourselves. And I want to set some of you free today from the chains of not forgiving yourself. I want you at the communion table today to ask God for the strength to forgive yourself and to stop going back over and over and over past mistakes, past denials, past regrets. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And we know from the book of Acts and the epistles of Peter that he did feed the young ones. He did feed the sheep. He obeyed his master. And I want to say to you this morning, we are going home and we'll be meeting with lambs, young believers, young people, children who are the lords. We'll be meeting with older Christians, the sheep of the flock. And I believe God wants us all To go back with a fresh sense of, help me, Lord, to feed the lambs, the young ones, the young Christians, the children, the boys and girls. Help me to feed my fellow believers. And that doesn't mean going home and stuffing it down their throats. It is a danger sometimes to go back to our churches a bit disgruntled with how things are not what they should be. And to start saying, well, at spring harvest they said this, at spring harvest they said that. Ask God to give you wisdom in grace, in knowing how to nurture and to care and to pray for people John Stott, Dr. John Stott is a patron of CARE, the organization that Celia and I work with and we were filming him some time ago for a, a promotional DVD and he spoke very eloquently and very positively about the work of CARE and then he quoted uh, a, a former Anglican Bishop and uh, in his inimitable accent he said Lyndon, the Bishop said pra, car, and you're there and I thought that wasn't a bad motive pray, care and you're there and pray that God would show you how you can go home and nurture other Christians your fellow Christians without ramming it down their throats caringly nurture feeding the lambs of the Lord feeding the sheep we all need encouragement and often church leaders need more encouragement than we realise how easy it is to criticise them How easy it is to criticize the leader's wife or husband. How easy it is to criticize the minister's children and expect higher standards from them than we would from other families. May God help us to be less critical and more encouraging. Ian mentioned the fact that Celia and I have been at Kensington Temple for a long time. We met there. Celia became a Christian there. We were baptized there. We were married there. I was on staff full-time for 10 years. I'm a consultant pastor now, still on the board. But when we left the full-time staff 25 years ago, they still describe me as, this is Lyndon, uh, a minister at Kensington Temple, on loan to care. We made a covenant that we would never at any time ever speak negatively about the preaching the guest speaker the worship, the choice of songs, anybody's activity in the church, unless we were asked. And Colin, the senior minister, regularly asks my insight, wisdom, opinion. But unless he asks, I don't volunteer my opinion. So for 25 years, we, neither privately to ourselves or in the company of others, have spoken negatively about Kensington Temple. It's been a liberating experience. There was only one occasion when I strayed. It was Christmas morning, three years ago, and a guest speaker was preaching. And he said, I'm not into mangers, camels, and shepherds. I want to turn to the book of Romans. And he expounded on Christmas morning for 40 minutes the justification by faith. It was awful. Little children with their teddies and their toys waiting to go home for Christmas lunch. Had to endure 40 minutes of this terrific... It was a terrific exposition, by the way, but not for Christmas morning. And we were all going home in the car. My son Andrew was sitting next to me. And somebody said, Dad, what did you think of the sermon? And I lost it. (laughs) I simply said... 40 minutes on Christmas morning on justification by faith. And you said to me, Dad, (laughs) I'd broken my vow. But some of us are too critical and we're not affirming and we're not encouraging enough and we're not supporting enough, our leaders. Pray for them. Ask God to bless them. Go home and let them be welcoming you because you bring blessing, you bring grace, rather than them feeling threatened by you as you return home. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. That's the first injunction. The second one was to prepare for the fiery trial. Jesus said, when you are old, you're going to be dressed by others and taken to places you didn't want to go. Some tradition tells us that Peter died by crucifixion. We don't know how true this is. And furthermore, To show his absolute submission to Christ, he said, please don't crucify me the right way up. Crucify me upside down. We don't know how true that is. That may simply be folklore. But what we do know, he didn't have a very pleasant ending. There was a fiery trial up ahead of him. And the artwork here shows somebody who's actually come through the fires. And that's the promise to us as Christians. There will be fiery trials. You may have just come through one. You may be in the midst of one. If you haven't had one and you're not in the midst of one, I've got good news for you. There's one waiting for you. God loves us enough to allow us to go through the fiery trials because it's only in the fiery trials that we really do learn. We really do lean and mature. Become more like him. No other religion, no other faith is remotely interested in these truths. Nims reminded us last night of what James the Apostle said, when you suffer trials of various kinds, count it all joy. And Peter himself in his epistle said, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes as though some strange thing were happen to you, but rejoice. And that may be something to do with your physical condition. It might be financial. It might be in your marriage. It might be in your singleness. A fiery trial. It might be in your family, at work or in church. Martina and Steve are going through a fiery trial right now. They're the parents of the lovely... Ethan, the three-month-old boy that was taken to Taunton Hospital. We've just heard now, minutes ago, that he's back in intensive care and this morning he's had two fits and he's in a serious condition. I'm going to suggest we pause and pray for Martina and Steve and Ethan. God, we lift up Steve and Martina to you right now. And baby Ethan, oh God, save that child, we pray. Give continued skill and wisdom to the doctors and nurses. Pour in your divine healing health to that little one we play. Rescue him. And be, may Steve and Martina be aware of your presence and your comfort in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen. And when we're not going through fiery trials, let's reach out to those who are. For our time will come. And there's nothing greater than having someone come around us. The fellowship of the saints when the going's tough. There are some fiery trials that are self-inflicted. We willfully burn ourselves because of disobedience. We speak in a way that we shouldn't speak. We conduct ourselves in a way that we shouldn't conduct ourselves. And we can heap upon ourselves fiery trials that are not of God's choosing. They're not of God's purposes. And they can be uh, humiliating and hurtful. And we can be burned. Care is involved with thousands of Christian leaders. More and more leaders are saying to us, one of the greatest problems facing the men in their congregations is the addiction to internet pornography. If you're one such person, beware. But take care. Because God's Holy Spirit is there to help you overcome that addiction. Set you free. And there are other forms of addiction, other fiery trials that we go through. And I pray that God will give us all wisdom and discernment to know what are the self-inflicted fiery trials that God doesn't want us to go through. It's needless. It's of our choosing, calling on God's strength and help where we feel the weakest. One of the greatest mysteries of the Christian life is that God's primary means of shaping us are by trials and testings. And Jesus was caringly warning Peter of... His trial to come. His last words to Peter, as were his first words, follow me. Jesus had said, I love you three times. I love you more than these. And Jesus would say, Now, show it, Peter. He gave him a second chance, and Peter did take that second chance with both hands. And in the Acts and in the epistles, we see Peter doing his best to obey the master and follow the Lord. Do you remember Eliza Doolittle in her plea to Professor Higgins? If you love me, show me. I was reflecting uh, on, on an incident which I've never referred to in public before, but it was my first girlfriend, Carol. She's in heaven now, so she won't mind me sharing with you. I had achieved two things that for me as a 14 year old boy were, 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 were everything I had my own newspaper round and my first girlfriend and in those dim distant days of yore we used to have what was called the hit parade well done. <laughs> you're looking a lot younger than you are um, and we had Jimmy Saddle and we had Top of the Pops and every week on a Thursday night we'd find out which is Top of the Pops And this week I was taking Carol out. Top of the Pops was The Bachelors, a group of Irishmen. And we used to sing these songs as kids. I don't know if they do that these days. They just listen to them, I think. But we used to sing them. And I wanted to to impress Carol. So I sang to her two lines from this number one hit. I won't inflict the singing on you today. With a slight Irish accent and an apology to you if you're Irish, I sang this to Carol. I wouldn't trade you for the world, for all the gems in the sea. She said... (laughs) As I sang it to her, she simply said, Say honest. And I suddenly thought of all the wealth of the world and all the gems in the sea. And I couldn't say honest. <laughs> Needless to say, that evening was the end of a, what was going to be a meaningful relationship. It was over. It was over. <laughs> We've got to back up our words with our actions. We've sang a lot this week. We've said a lot. We expressed our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and I urge you, go away and ask for God's help like you've never asked for it before, to show his love wherever you go. Be a vehicle, a conduit of his love and his grace. It says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. I love it that the grace comes first. Some of us are so full of truth and then we look for opportunities to to show grace Maybe we should be full of grace and then look for opportunities to share the truth. Full of grace and truth. Showing our love by our conduct more than words and promises. I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. When I come to that line, your kingdom come, your will be done. I add a little bit. I pray your kingdom come, Your will be done by us today. Forgive us our trespasses. And I go on. You see, there are two basic words for the will of God. One would be described like the decrees of God, and there ain't nothing we can do about God's eternal decrees. That's his sovereign will, his choice. When this world will end, when the affairs of human history as we know it will be wound up, when a new heaven and a new earth will be made, God will decide. And there's nothing I can do through prayer, fasting, evangelism, or anything to alter God's eternal sovereign decrees. That's his business. But the other translation of use of the word is more his desires. And Jesus is not asking us to pray that God's decrees would be done. They would be done anyway, whether I pray or not. Jesus is asking us to pray that God's desires would be done by you, by me, by us. And so every day I pray that God would show me what his desires are. And they are frequently not very profound, they are simple. WWJD, what would Jesus do in that circumstance? It may be just saying, thank you. Going out of your way to express your appreciation to the stewards, to those on the sound desk, to our stenographer, to those who've served us behind the scenes, those workers who work with your children and the young people and your little ones, back home in the local church to say, thank you, Lord, and say it to the person. Celia and I travel in by underground every day to Westminster. And uh, sometimes in the evening, uh, I'll treat myself to a, an evening standard. It's our London daily evening newspaper. And as I came up to the underground one evening, uh, I stopped at the stand to buy a, a paper. And I made the fatal mistake of saying to the guy who was selling the newspaper, who I, I, we knew each other. I said, how are you? He said, not very good. I said, tell me more. He said, I need to go to the toilet Can I help? (laughs) He said, funnily enough, you can help me. Right, I said, tell me more. He said, well, I'm not allowed to leave this newsstand, but if you you could man the stand, I could go across the road to the pub and have a pee and come back and all is well. I said, done. So I took my my briefcase down, stood at the stand, he went off to the, the, the loo and I just said, standard, standard, read all about it. That bit wasn't true, but I, <laughs> I did. I did sell a bunch of newspapers for him. And you know, that little experience was one of the greatest joys of that day for me. Because I think sometimes we have these airy, fairy, amazing, transforming the world, transforming our communities, all of which I'm totally in for, sometimes can take us off the simple. Stopping a dustman sweeping the street and saying, thank you. If you want to give a coronary heart attack to a London bus driver, say thank you. (laughs) Following Christ is about the big picture, of course it is. That's what we've been about. But It's also about the little picture, the little apparently inconsequential task. Some time ago, I had a phone call from a friend who spoke a bit like John Stott. He said, Lyndon, the Lord has told me to come and wash your feet. Is that all right? I said, sure. I was quickly trying to remember when I'd washed them last. (laughs) And he came to the door. He asked for a bowl of water and a towel and soap and he literally washed my feet. Then I am sitting in my sitting room, my trousers rolled up to my knees and my feet in a bowl of warm water and him kneeling, washing my feet. I've never felt such a Charlie in all my life. (laughs) But, you know, God used that to deal with the vanity and the pride that was in my heart. I wasn't even open to washing someone's feet. I explained it away, why it was applicable in the first century and what the modern parallel was. As I was doing all this, he was washing my feet. Now, I'm not suggesting when you get home, you pick up the phone and say, the Lord's told me to wash your feet. But I would ask you to prayerfully consider what might refresh that person. What could you do in a practical way? It might be cutting the minister's lawn, cutting his grass while he's away on mission, or offering to do something, making a meal. Make a meal for yourself and just make a bit more and put it in a little plastic container and offer it to someone who might be struggling. following Jesus, simple acts of kindness. Ian spoke the other night of pleasing aromas. In the opening verses of chapter 1 and the Philippians, Paul says this, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you for your partnership in the gospel. And as I understand it, partnership in the gospel, I have to go to the fourth chapter of Philippians and in between two of the most famous verses in Philippians, and some might say two of the most famous verses in the New Testament verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me verse 19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, in between those two famous verses Paul tells us as Steve was reminding us the other morning When he left Thessalonica, when he left Macedonia, the only church that practically supported him with money and gifts was the Philippian church. And in fact, the letter to the Philippians is as a result of Epaphroditus coming from northern Greece all across Europe to Rome to find Paul. Paul was under house arrest. He wasn't in a dark, damp cell like he was in Philippi. As a Roman citizen, he was allowed to rent his own home and have people come, clothes brought to him, books and gifts. And somehow, Epaphroditus found where he was under house arrest, knocked the door. When they opened the door, Paul could not believe it. Epaphroditus had come all this way risking his life to bring the expression of love from the Philippian church to him in prison. And he sat down under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and wrote this letter to say thank you. Thank you. Not only were you you're the only church who supported me when I left you, you're still the only church that supported me in practical down-to-worth ways. As you go away from Spring Harvest today, remember... Forgiving yourself, feeding his lambs and sheep, preparing for the fiery trial, and following him obediently in the great and in the small. May God bless you.